Hello, and welcome to Rock Bottom Storytellers 3, presented by Choose Your Struggle. If somehow you are watching this right now, uh, I applaud you. I, 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 you live by the same code that I do. If you're five minutes early, you're on time. And if you're on time, you're late. Uh, that being said, most of the people don't live like that. So we're gonna give everybody just a couple of minutes and then we're gonna come back and get this thing started. So hang tight and uh, I'll be back in a couple minutes to, to, to get it going.
Welcome to Rock Bottom Storytellers number three. Uh, this is a very special event. Um, I started this. I am Jay Schiffman, by the way, in case you, you don't know. I'm the founder of Choose Your Struggle. I'm the host of this event. I'm a speaker. I'm a storyteller. And I'm the host of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I do it all. Um, I, I started this event in, in late 2020. We had the first one earlier this year. And I did this for a couple reasons. Number one, um, we as people, our brains work best. We learn best through story. That's look. I can't explain it. I'm no neuro, neurobiologist or nothing, but I do know this to be true. Countless studies have shown this to be true. You can give someone a bunch of facts, but if you tell them a story with that that parable in it, they're going to come away with the with the, the the lessons better from the parable than they are from the facts. So helping people understand these these lessons uh, is 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 one of the main reasons I did this. Number one. Number two. Um, I believe strongly, I believe strongly that you cannot hate up close, right? We have uh, these, these, these issues that we talk about, um, you know, the ones that I focus on, mental health, substance misuse and recovery and drug use and policy are very real, right? These are very important issues. And it's one thing to hear this discussed, but it's another thing entirely to hear it straight from a person's mouth, all right? So... This to me is incredibly important. Ending this stigma is incredibly important as a guy in recovery, as a guy who cares about these issues. But more than that, once you have the stigma down, you've got to do something about it. You've got to educate. And that's what we're trying to do with all of this. Uh, finally, I believe strongly that it's incredibly important to be intentional about promoting other voices. I'm a white dude. I'm a, I'm a white dude. That's, that's, that's what I am. We have plenty of platform. Don't get me wrong. You know, I very much appreciate when people give me the opportunity to tell my story, to educate about these issues. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate it. That being said, I get opportunities more often than other people. And so that's one of the reasons I do this. I try to promote other voices. I try to, to be intentional about creating opportunity for other voices. So what you're going to see tonight is four incredible women. Four incredible women who are bearing their soul, telling their their uh, their, their most vulnerable stories of tragedy, of, of struggling, and, and how they overcame. But there's something important about that. Those of us who do this, we often tell what I like to call the V-shaped story, right? The the tragic downfall, we hit the bottom, the rock bottom, as the as the name suggests here, and we bounce back. But here's the thing. When we tell those stories, they're amazing. They inspire. They motivate, right? They help people understand. They destroy hate. They don't help normalize struggle, right? Because when you tell that V-shape, when you, when, you, when you bounce to the bottom and come right back up, we skip right over 
the hardest part, that bottom, the you. So what we're doing tonight is a little bit different, right? We're not we're not focusing on the V. We're talking about the you. We're sitting at that bottom for a minute. And you're going to hear that tonight. You're going to hear these people sit with their story. These incredible vulnerable vulnerable people sit with their story. And I for one, as someone else who's been through trauma and through tra- tragedy, I I love it. I value it. And I, I applaud these people for willing to be real with what's going on with them, what's going on in their lives, and what's going on in their hearts. So, a couple of a couple of uh, housekeeping things before we get going. Number one, wherever you're watching this, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, whatever it is, the follow, whatever it is on the platform that you're on. That's how you can stay up to date with the work that I'm doing. I greatly appreciate it. Also, pull out your phone real quick and search on wherever you look, uh, listen to podcasts. Search for Choose Your Struggle. That's my show. Uh, a couple reasons why that's important. Obviously, my show, so I, I think it's pretty great. But beyond that, everybody you hear tonight, this show is going to be replayed as an audio-only version of this show in a couple of weeks. Uh, so if there's something you particularly like about this and you're like, man, I wish I could hear that again. Well, you can because this will live online forever. But also... This will be played on my show in a couple weeks, the audio-only version, so check that out, please. Um, a couple other uh, things that, to keep an eye out for tonight. You'll see, let's see if I can do this backwards. Uh, 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 there it is. Uh, a little a little eye in the top of my screen. Quick explanation about this. Uh, this platform, uh, it tried to create something where it measured how many people are watching live. I've been working with the founders of it. Great people. I, I appreciate how willing they've been to work with me on this. It doesn't work. Uh, they're aware of that. They they're, they're swear they're working on the technology. They're also trying to work on the technology to help us turn this thing off. Uh, it's a new ER platform, uh, but it doesn't work. So ignore that. It means nothing. Um, but speaking of platforms, you can comment on on this show. You can share what's going on, how you're feeling or, or, or applauding the people who are telling their stories or, or that there's something that they said that you got value from, you can share that by just commenting. But wherever you're watching, just just put a comment in. Um, if it's particularly uh, meaningful, if it's if it's if it's an applause for one of the storytellers, I'm gonna share that on screen. So, you know, uh, think about what you're saying. But at the same time, we're doing this live. None of us are professional storytellers in this sense. I mean, I am, but but you know what I'm trying to say. So uh, give the people a little bit of grace here. Um, if if they if they stumble over a word, I don't want to see you in the comments going ah, you know, any that kind of bullshit. Give people grace. Couple other things real quick before we get started. Number one, I have to give a big shout out to our partner for tonight. Roadrunner CBD. Roadrunner CBD is run by a good friend of mine named Kyle Blanks. He's one of the one of the uh, directors of this amazing organization. Uh, I wouldn't be pitching this product if I didn't believe in it. I use it myself. I love their flower. I love their their muscle gel. Uh, I'm a runner, and it keeps me feeling pretty good while I run. As you can see, if you go to this link right here, RoadrunnerCBD.com/ref/cys, and use the code CYS at checkout, you're going to get 10 percent off, and it's also going to help me out because I'm going to get a little kickback from that. I greatly appreciate it. So check that out again. That's RoadrunnerCBD.com/ref/cys. They are our, our, our presenting partner for tonight. I could not do this without their support. Big ups to Kyle Blanks and Roadrunner. Thank you so much for your continued love and support. Now, 
one last announcement before we get into the storytellers. This is big. This is real big. You guys are hearing something first tonight. Uh, this isn't even public yet. Like, like my family doesn't know about this yet. My incredible strategist, the jack of all trades, uh, uh, Ryan, who works for with me here at Choose Your Struggle, has been hard at work adding another title to his uh, ever-growing list on his business card, and that is Designer. We have some incredible merch. Now, I had this one professionally made uh, about nine months ago, okay? I got some I got some Choose Your Struggle tank tops here. But if you're like, look, I, I like the designs, but I don't, I don't want to wear a tank top. I get it, all right? I get it. Tank tops aren't for everybody. So here it is for the first time ever. The Choose Your Struggle merch store is live. Ryan has been killing it, getting this thing ready for tonight. This is so new that some of the designs, like, I hadn't even seen yet, right? They're up there. I mean, we're going to keep adding stuff. We're going to shift some stuff around. But they're they're doing us a solid because we just kicked this thing off for this for this event tonight. They're giving everybody about a 20% discount on items. I've already got a couple things in my checkout. So go check out tpublic.com slash stores slash choose dash your dash struggle and find all of our incredible merch. And Ryan is watching. So, you know, if you like what you're seeing, drop it in the chat and let Ryan know that he, you know, was killing it. All right. Oh, oh, there he is. Ryan's jumping in the chat too to help me out there. And he's putting, look at that. Thank you, Ryan. Everybody, everybody give a round of applause to Ryan. All right. So without further ado, I think it's time that we shift over to the real uh, rock bottom rock stars of tonight. So there are four storytellers and one incredible musician who are all going to entertain us tonight. <laughs> I was I was looking at this list and it made me think of something kind of ridiculous. During Passover, the Jewish holiday of Passover, we have this saying, Dayenu, which basically means it would have been enough, right? Uh, you say it during all these things God supposedly did for us. But when I was looking at this list tonight, I was going, man, Amanda Love, Dayenu, that would have been enough if we just had Amanda Love tonight. A new what? Dayenu would have been enough. Real Lanza performing live for us. Dayenu would have been enough. Don Shireen, uh, one of my favorite storytellers, would have been enough. And finally, I mean, this is like incredible. The the peerless Amy Minhan Corey bringing us home. Uh, like myself, a recent TED speaker, um, also one of the my favorite people I've met doing this work. We've become friends over the last year. This list is unbelievable. You know, I, again, Dianu, it would have been enough. So uh, strap in. It's going to be an incredible night. And I'm going to go ahead and get ready to bring this first person up, all right? Amanda Elise, uh, Amanda Elise Love is a registered holistic nutrition specialist. She has herself suffered from the debilitating illness of fibromyalgia for a long time. And now as a writer, a podcaster, again, a nutritionist, a speaker, and now we can add storyteller to the list. Uh, Amanda helps those with fibromyalgia by... I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Number one, bring in awareness because I didn't know much about this until we started talking. Real quick, funny story about Amanda. So when we first started chatting, she was like, yo, let's grab some time. Let's kick it. Or I was like, all right, cool. So we started chatting and she goes, um, do you want to record? I said, yeah, I'd love to be on your show. Like name a time. And she's like, no, no, right now I'll push record. Let's just do this. And I was like, what? okay so we just knocked out a podcast episode uh and i'm excited to hear it because she's a great host and i had a lot of fun chatting with her so what do y'all say that we go ahead and bring the 
incredible Amanda Elise Love to the stage. Y'all ready for this? Hello, Amanda Elise Love. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> well, I am ready to hear your story. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead backstage. Uh, the aforementioned Ryan is going to going to comment with some links. I'm going to put them up on stage and and so everybody can see your link. But uh, I'll tell you what, take it away. Sure. Okay, so my story started back before I was born. I was born six weeks early. And right off the bat, my immune system was down for the count. I was sick every all the time, sinus infections, sore throats, you name it, I had it. I dealt with this all the way into my early 20s. I would be sick for at least 10 days or longer. And also with the fact that my parents divorced when I was six years old. So at six years old, I was dealing with that. My dad remarried and it wasn't a very good marriage. It, my stepmom was very evil and mean, <laughs> putting it lightly. And so I was a scared little girl. I was very shy. I was very quiet. I am not that type of person anymore if you meet me. But I would go through, I would go to their house when I wanted to go to that house. And I just was so stressed out. There was a lot of mental abuse going on. There was a lot of like two, three, four hour lectures. My sister and I didn't know what to do. If I spoke up, I would be told to be quiet and I would get in trouble and I would have to stand in the corner or I would miss events that the younger children were doing. So I had this going on. I was so stressed out. Like I was so sick. Um, my sister and I had to go through with the court system. So the court systems eventually said, oh, instead of every other week, we're going to do every other weekend, but you have to spend the night. And it just completely depilitized me. I was so stressed out. I would not go out to the car when my dad would pick me up. And I was dealing with this and then eventually we moved to Arizona from California and I was 14 years old at the time. And that took a lot of stress out because we didn't have to deal with that situation anymore. But the fact is I also had learning difficulties. So I had reading, writing, math was my worst subject and I never like had an easy time with school. I had to work twice as hard to get good grades and I put a lot of pressure on myself to get those good grades. And once I completed high school, I went into personal training, did a six month course and this course was great. I loved it and everything. But all of a sudden, I like about two weeks later, I turned 20 years old and all of a sudden, my health took a drastic turn. And all of a sudden, I was so fatigued. I would come home from the gym. I started crashing. I would take like two-hour naps. I was never feeling well-rested. I was in all of a sudden, this pain started. And with fibromyalgia, you have this pain where it's down your neck. I always say your shoulders, your arms, your legs. And it's debilitating. You can't do anything. And so I was stuck on the couch and as a normal 20 year old who should be out having fun, 
having a job doing college, I couldn't do it. And I couldn't go out with my sister and her then boyfriend, who is now her husband. I couldn't do those things. And it was very, very hard. And 10 months later, I went to one of the top rheumatology places. And this is in Mesa, Arizona. And they said, you have fibromyalgia. And at the time, uh, fibromyalgia was not pushed as much as it is now. Uh, this was 11 years ago. So it, I was 20 years old, almost 21. And they said, well, your two options are physical therapy. I did physical therapy. I did the exercise. I did the swimming. And which is interesting to think about, but when I had just done that personal training program like 10 months before. So fibromyalgia, just to tell people, if you don't know, it's not an overweight issue. And that's what I tell people. I've always been, I'm teeny, I'm only five, I'm under five, three, and I've always been at a healthy weight. So it's not a weight issue. And the next option was medication. So with medication, I stayed on it for two days. I was not going to stay on something that was going to make me feel worse than I already felt. And I wasn't going to stay on it for 60 years plus. And so the biggest thing, once I hit that, I feel like the biggest rock bottom moment in my story is what I'm going to talk about next. And that was right next door to the physical therapy, there was a pain management. And pain management is the most excruciating thing I've ever have done in my life. So what they do with pain management, if you don't know, is you have your first consultation, you have, and then you're supposed to have three treatments. So with this, it's you get a hospital gown, they take your blood pressure, they take your weight. And I always tell people, if you don't know about fibromyalgia, is one of the crazy ways that they diagnose you is that if you have trigger points and it's certain points uh, in your body, like your neck, your shoulders, your arms and legs, if you are winching in pain, then, and they touch like 13 of the 18, they might diagnose you with fibromyalgia. Or if you have fatigue or dealing with sleep issues or pain and it's continuous and it's been longer than three months and it's never gone away, they might diagnose you with fibromyalgia. So what they do with pain management is they would shoot this huge needle into your body, into all of those 13 of the 18 trigger points. So of course you were awake when this was happening and it was so painful and somehow uh, my I would not cry until I would get to the car but before that they would give you juice cookies and stuff because your blood sugar would drop so low that you would be that you would be so lightheaded that you were just like you couldn't do anything for like at least 10 to 15 minutes and I just remember coming out of physical therapy, coming out of pain management, coming out of these places that were supposedly gonna fix the issues that I was having, and I would just bawl. I would just cry, cry, cry. And it was exhausting. 
I cried for like at least a year and a half. And I mean, I cried like I cried like every single hour of the day if I was not sleeping. And that's what I tell people is with fibromyalgia, it's this illness where you're so much pain, you're so fatigued, you can't focus, you can't do anything but lay on the couch. And eventually, I was willing to do anything to get well. And that's the biggest thing I tell people. You have to be willing to get to do anything in your life to get well. And um, like six months later, my grandmother actually found a newspaper clipping, said wellness talk by a wellness chiropractor. And she went to the talk and he told her that if your granddaughter has fibromyalgia at the age of 20, she's been very, very sick for a very, very long time. And to me, my grandmother, this made total sense since she was an RN. And I worked with him for eight months. I did saliva testing. I did stool testing. I did food sensitivity testing. I found out I had two genes predisposed me to a gluten sensitivity highest in his practice at the time from both sets of parents uh a soy sensitivity and egg and dairy and they were all extremely high and that like started my health journey of getting well and i've been off of those for like 10 years but i tell people when people ask me like i always get asked the question like what is your health today I always tell people it's it's always a walk, work in progress. Like um, I would say I was a negative zero. I couldn't get off the couch. I didn't run errands. I was in so much pain. I couldn't take a shower. Like I couldn't do any of those things. And now I say between a seven and a nine. Like I still once in a while struggle with headaches. I still struggle with fatigue and some hormone issues. Like I'm not perfect, but think about this. So I just moved to Austin, Texas, and this will be seven weeks tomorrow. And I would never have been able to do that with my fibromyalgia the way it was like 10 years ago, right? And that's a big thing. You gotta change your life, your lifestyle, whatever it is to get better. And I find people tell me all the time, they're like, oh, you're so brave that you moved to Austin, Texas and you <laughs> did it and you didn't know anyone. And you didn't, and I'm like, well, I was at that point in my life where I needed a change. And we, I talk about this a lot with my clients as a nutritionist and I say, well, your food is, could be great, your supplements could be good, your lifestyle changes could be good, but what is your relationships like? Um, what is your environment, home life like? Um, one of the biggest things that happened, which I haven't shared, this is the first time I'm sharing this, but my grandmother passed, um, it'll be a year tomorrow. And that was a big, big loss. It was one of those people who was so pivotal in my story who wanted me to get well, who was like my biggest support system. And my relationships with my family changed because of that death. And I was dealing with a lot of stress and stuff. And this is 
real. I was dealing with a lot of, of stress, like home stress, just relationships and stuff like that this whole year. And now in like seven weeks, I'm like the happiest I've been in like the, like I would say my lifetime. And it's because I made that change. So I tell people, you got to make the change. And one of the things that Jay and I talked about, he mentioned that we, he did an episode with me is we get told we're very special people, but we don't think of ourselves as special people. It's just, we're willing to share our stories. We're share, willing to share our message. We're willing to share what made us the people that we are today, because that's the big thing. We want to inspire other people. And I want you to, I always like to do this with my podcast, but I tell people, take one action today. So I recommend doing this tomorrow. I want you to do one thing, and that is tell your story to one person, one person that will support you or go on Facebook Live and tell your story and tag me and I will support you and I'll leave a comment because our stories, we don't know what our stories are going to do to other people. We can, we never know. So the biggest thing is tell your story so you can spread your message, but you maybe you're helping someone out today that really needs it. So my biggest thing is share your message because we only have one life to live. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, Amanda. Yes, I love that. I want to I want to co-sign that. Please tell your story. You know, uh, tell your story is one of the hashtags I choose. Please tag Amanda because I would I would love to to see her share it all over and participate. And if you want to tag me too, uh, that would be pretty cool. So Amanda, I'm gonna push you backstage. Thank you so much for for being so incredible and so brave. Thank you. All right, that what a great start, right? Uh, what a great start. I mean, uh, when we do these, I I I. I I will say this of the four people speaking or start telling their story tonight. I've only seen one before and that's Amy's Amanda. I knew a little bit Don Shereen. I've heard, I've seen speak, but storytelling is completely different. So, um, you know, that is uh, something that I didn't really know coming in was how Amanda was going to do that. And that was just an incredible start. Amanda, thank you so much for your bravery. Now the next storyteller tonight is someone that I'll admit before like a month ago, I had no uh, familiar familiarization with her story, right? I was looking for a fourth person to, to be on this event tonight. Ryan and I were working really hard on this. We had bounced a couple ideas around, and I was on a website called Podcast Guests, uh, and I saw a person listed there that just the, the their, their bio, just the briefest uh, amount of work that they put into this blew me away. And I was like, all right, even if she's not good for this, like I got to talk to this person because I want to know more about, about her work. And that person's a new what? Uh, and as you can tell, not only was she perfect for this, but she blew me away. Um, and, and her story is going to be a little different than other ones that have been told on this on this uh, platform before. So I am super excited. I'm going to go ahead and bring Anu up. Anu, how you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for your kind introduction. You're <laughs> welcome. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead backstage and you can uh, you can share your incredible story with everybody. Thank you.
Hi, everyone. This is a, I'm glad this is a safe space, but it's also a difficult space because not all the time we get a platform where we can tell the bottom worst of our lives. And uh, I have a couple of my family members watching this live today. So I think it's going to hit a few more rock bottoms than I had uh, anticipated. Um, so my story is basically around um, moving abroad and how it led me to decide to move abroad. It wasn't just overnight, of course, it took many years. And it all started, I think, when I was around, um, the first time I had that thought in my mind when I was around three years old, I still remember. Um, how do I remember I, when I was three years old? Because I could do math. I could do math and subtract the numbers. And I was like, I'm three and I know this. And the second time I realized that when I was six years old and when I was 10 years old, I really knew that I don't fit in the place where I was and I don't fit in the culture and the country where I was. And I had already asked Jay, thank you so much. And uh, I'm gonna say the name of the country. I was reluctant in the beginning, but now I think I'm just gonna lay the cards out. Um, as you can say from, uh, see from my name and my accent, probably you can see I'm from India. And uh, so since I was 10 years old, I could really see that I don't fit in. And uh, the reasons for not being able to fit in was just being different than other people, being more open, uh, being more aware of the differences between me, my family, and others. Um, and there is, there was a great difference in the way we were because a lot of people will disagree, but I would still put a perspective is that we grew up pretty uh, poor. You, you can't say it was a poor background because there was just enough money and there was always a financial stress. And sometimes I would ask my parents like, why is it like this? Like, why are we like this? Why do we have these problems? Why can't we go anywhere? Or why can't we buy something that we need? Or not even want, just need. And they, they would not have an answer. And or they would say, like, I'm too young to understand all these things. But I wasn't because I could see what was happening. And I saw the way people treated my parents because we were financially struggling all the time. And these things very much magnified over the year because as I grew up, I could see people treating me differently when I started going to college. Um, young people have a trend getting invited to the parties and stuff. I would not get invited to the parties and if I did, I would do my best to avoid it because I wouldn't have, I might not have something good to wear or I might just be very conscious like if I'm going to fit in or not, if I'm going to be made fun of. And um, I did my education. I did my bachelor's education in India in dental surgery. I'm a licensed dentist. Those five years or I'd say like my senior high school, five years of dental school and one year of residency. 
those seven years were one of the worst. Yeah, one of the worst years of my life because that really showed me my rock bottom. That showed me my place, like what people think of me. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how good you are. All it matters is how people see you, how people perceive you. And you can be yourself. There's a judgment. People judge. It looks like a really good, warm, traditional, um, cultural place to be. But for someone who has been there and grown up there, I have seen very closely the terror it can bring to you. And it's not, a, it's not good for any person to be in such a place where they are jeopardized every day, every every task they do, every activity they do. Um, Amanda mentioned that we are told that we are special, but we think we are not. In my case, it was absolutely different. I was never told I, I am special. Instead, I was told I am worthless, I'm useless, I can't do anything, I'm just stupid, and I'm too pre pretty to be smart. Um, I'm just a girl, I, don't, I shouldn't have any ambition. My only ambition should be to get married and have kids. Um, and like, I shouldn't even think of moving abroad because that's for rich people, that's for, um, that's for people who have means. That's for people who are more aware. It's not for people like me. That's what the world told me. And some people went to even such an extent to say that they, they will bet. They are, a couple of people had a bet whether or not I'll be able to move to the US for my studies. Because that's how bad they thought of me. And it was challenging because I, f I feel the fight was like me against the world. And it's tough proving each and every time like why you want this, why you deserve this. And for me, the only motivation was that the way I have seen my parents financially struggle, be always worried if we are able to um, have enough finances for half our expenses next month. Be always worried, what are we gonna do next? How are we gonna be able to survive next? And when I reached the age where I understood how the world worked, I thought to myself, I don't want this. I don't want to live this in future. This is not something I want my parents or my family to live in the future because if I can change it, I will definitely try. And my only way of trying was to move abroad because I had seen, I, I went through the dental school on full scholarship and being poor, it was really difficult to be able to afford that. And even after being a dentist, I was paid $13 a month during my residency. It's not even enough, it's nowhere enough. And if my value during my residency is $13 a month, I couldn't even imagine how, my, how much my value is gonna be after I graduate and go out to work. And I realized after I graduated, I had no value. Not only me, like any new worker 
with me, around me, they literally had no value. And I'm glad I realized it sooner because, because of that realization I made, I made this resolution like that enough. I deserve better. I'm going to ask what I deserve and no one can stop me from getting what I deserve. Um, I was looking for a job one day. I had recently graduated. This was around, I think, the end of 2013 or the middle of 2013. I had recently graduated and I was looking for jobs. I went to the places to work as a clinic assistant or assistant dentist or whatever positions they might have. Nobody gave me a job. They were like, you're too, you're too much. We can't. Or didn't you work this work here and here? If you did, it's a conflict of interest. We can't. Like if you have these excuses, then why do you want to hire anybody? Constantly having that struggle to find a job. I'm like, I don't want to go through that. I came out of those clinics where I was, where I went to find a job and I sat on the uh, footpath or a pedestrian path or a walkway. And I thought to myself, that do I really want this in my future? Like having to be at the mercy of people to give me a job or give me an opportunity. Like why? I'm not dumb. I'm like, I'm not dumb. I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty skillful. And uh, I'm not crazy. Also, I'm respectful. If I'm working for somebody, I'll respect them for giving me work. So why, what's the problem with this culture and the people that they have with me? And I kept on thinking like, what can I do to do better? What can I do? And instantly this thought popped in my mind. Like, what if you're, you're not good enough for this country? What if you need to build your, yourself outside, abroad? What if there's something greater meant for you that you don't know yet? And it was very scary. I'm telling you, I was literally shivering the first time I had the thought of moving abroad. And my parents didn't take it well <laughs> in the beginning, <laughs> you can imagine. Um, but um, I thought of just one thing, that what if I try and I succeed? That would be amazing. In the worst case, what if I try and I failed? And I realized at least I won't have the regret that I didn't try. Because a lot of people around me, they don't try just because they think they can't. And I'm like, I don't want to be in that group. And so sitting on that footpath, I decided I'm going to do it. And that's where the most difficult year of my life started. Um, the only way I can put that entire year for me to move to the U.S. I, is that Every day felt like going two steps ahead and a hundred steps back. That is the only human explanation I can give. Um, 
every task, every step of the way was tough. And at the same time, fighting the world was even tougher because I wasn't born here. I don't have the privileges that people who are born in a developed countries have. And I had to fight bottom, the rock bottom of a very culturally obstinate um, country which still believes that everything's fine. There is no work that needs to be done and being oblivious to whatever is happening. And when I see that, I'm like, I don't want that and people suffering. So when I went through my entire year, every day was new realization. Every day was a new thing I would see. I'm like, why is it like this? Like, why do people are struggling for food? Why do people are struggling for being able to afford a house or even the rent? Why is there so much greed, so much animosity, so much vindictiveness, so much comparison amongst people? Why? And these questions still bother me. Why is there so much distrust? And why, why do people respect praise and quantify money to the happiness? Why? I, the, one of the reasons why I became an abroad migration coach because I got conned by one of the abroad migration consultancies that they call in India. It was a bad experience, like horrible experience. It was so horrible that when I came to the US, I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm gonna start my own thing. I'm gonna help as many people as I can so that they don't have to go through the pain that I went through because of the culture, the consultancies or the people who con or who are betraying, who miscreate mistrust, misguidedness, confusion amongst people. They don't realize that there's a big world out there that doesn't run on money, that runs on kindness. Because how much ever money you have, it doesn't matter. If you're not happy and you don't have the kindness of people around you. And that's my, that's my spiel. Spread the kindness, spread the love and spreading my story to show how I am different why I did the way I did, and what I can do for everybody out there. Thank you so much, Jay, for this platform. Thank you. That was fantastic. That was, uh, I didn't know what to expect, and that was 10 times better than anything I could have expected. So, Anu, thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and put you backstage. So, this is the time of the night where we take a short break. Uh, but because... I like to make sure everybody gets a, a, a palate cleanser of, of sorts. We're not just going to stretch it out or take a deep breath, which are all important things. Instead, I am bringing you a world-class musician by the name of Rio Lanza, who's going to play a couple songs for you all. So I'm going to put myself backstage and let you listen to the one and only Rio Lanza. Take it away.
everybody. Thank you so much to the Choose Your Struggle podcast and Jay Shiffman, our guest speakers. It's incredible to hear people overcoming these things and, and being able to persevere through everything that uh, may be thrown at you. I go by the name of Rio Lanza and I'm going to play a few songs for you. Thank you. 
So that song is basically about when we're going through these things, sometimes there might be patterns. We might find these patterns like, hmm, things aren't working out or people are being pushed away. Like, what is it? And that song is just kind of like a calling, like, don't leave. Give me a chance. I'm going through these things. Like, I'm figuring it out. Yeah. <clears throat> this next song is called Tried and True. Give my 
something really quick. Bear with me. Okay. This next song is called Too Soon. Thinking, nigga, why could you 
song. Yes. 
just now I soon forget This is where I go This is where I stay got a personal show from a dude who's like headlining like this was and that was incredible Rio Lanza thank you I know you can hear this backstage thank you so much that was incredible I am it was it's been a pleasure to, to meet you and get to know you and I mean that was just fantastic thank you um while he was playing so I gotta show you I took this picture let's see if I can show it up on screen this is what I was doing the entire time 
uh, that he was playing. My dog is she. She hasn't moved the entire time. She was like lulled uh, by his music, and so I was just laying there next to her, uh, scratching her behind her ears. So, Leo Lanza, you have a new fan for life, and her name is Nell. Uh, she she loved it very much. So we're gonna we're moving right along. Um, as as much as I hate it when that happens, right? Because these nights are so incredible. If I could do the work, I would do these much more often. But uh, as Ryan knows, because this was his introduction, he helped me do like it's a lot of work putting these on. Um, but I, I love them when they come together, and it's it's just been a, it's they're, they're a joy. Uh, so so moving that joy along is someone that I met Don Shireen a couple months ago, about six months ago now, and. I want to say, I don't even remember how we met. She could probably tell you. But what I do know is that right away, we, I, I appreciated what she, who she is and I appreciated her for who she is. She was preparing for a speech and I gave her a couple of tips and she knocked that speech out of the park. Uh, she is a fellow podcaster, somebody that, that I, I have... Uh, very much enjoy getting to know she is a person with real i mean lived experience and you're gonna hear about this tonight her um work is all around her 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 website and her company which is dancing with bipolar but here's the thing i can't tell you half as well as what she's gonna tell you so i'm gonna bring her up don shireen welcome to the stage hi everybody thank you and um i want to let Rio lenza know that my dog loved his stuff too he was all uh, very happy during his set so um He's got two dog friends now. So as it is with people who are drug addicts and um, not compliant with their mental health, I found myself becoming homeless around Christmas. And it was 13 days before Christmas. And I already knew the situation I was in was very, very bad. And um, I was definitely not doing anything to help myself. And I had discovered the night prior that the guy was setting me up. And I was frantically packing my stuff trying to beat him to the punch when I heard a knock on my door. And I was like, they're like, Ms. Bernard. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, it's Navajo County Sheriff's. And I'm like, oh, somebody's here to help me. And I'm like, yes. And like, can you please open the door and show us your hands? And do you have any weapons? And I'm like, um, I do have a weapon. I have a pump BB gun back here. And um, are you guys here to help me? And they're like, uh, no, actually we're here to remove you from the premises. And here I was 13 days before Christmas looking at being homeless. I had moved into this gentleman's house on the promise that um, I would pay less rent and there would be less problems. And um, what I did was move into a house with no contract and set myself up to be removed, which Navajo County sheriffs did do in a um, as much as anybody can possibly give you compassion and grace as they are making you homeless, Navajo County Sheriff's did so for me. And on December 13th, I think this was like five years ago, um, I found myself outside this home that I had paid the rent, paid the propane, bought Christmas gifts, bought a tree, bought food for Christmas dinner, standing outside the doors with mismatched boots, a house coat, I think I had a jacket, and my pajamas and all my stuff thrown to the side and um, my dog and my cat in a backpack and I was officially screwed. Um, the sheriffs suggested to me that I go check out Catholic Charities, which um, 
I was like, well, what else am I going to do? I had no glasses. I couldn't see. I was just, I mean, I, <laughs> I was a case to be held. So um, I did walk down to Catholic Charities with my inability to write forms out because I couldn't see and um, managed to get me my under 16 pound pit bull and my invisible cat um, a hotel room for 60 days. 60 days. Um, so there we go. So um, because people, I was so um, not loved where I was at. People were more than grateful to um, get me out of there. So I had rides with all my stuff that I could acquire to the hotel we go. And to the hotel we go and stay for um, quite a few months before my addiction and my uh, untreated bipolar decide to act up again. And I start acting up by um, falling in love with the worst dude ever who uh, over a month period of time, got me set up in a very bad drug deal, lost my money for my room for the hotel, moved in with him. And again, no contract, no lease. What am I doing? Setting myself up for homelessness. So Shane was already a little bit of a loose nut to say the least and to be very PC and correct. Um, he was actually a sociopath with, um, with wings and, um, you know, because he was cute and all. And I was at that point of being just so far delusional that I didn't really know what was going on anymore. Um, I was falling in love with Shane, who really wanted me dead. So um, I pissed him off one day and he um, went into the back room and called sheriffs on me to say that I had broken into the trailer, which we were living in, which I was paying the rent and um, that I had stolen from him and um, some other hocus pocus. And I just jetted out with the dog, um, ran to the trailer that we were living at prior and just hid. And now, mind you, I've got two T's of methamphetamine on me, enough to set me back for a couple of years if I am found with these drugs on me. Um, not to mention that I've never been arrested before in my life. However, um, the fact that he had the lease and I wasn't on it and that I was in there and everything and he could lie made it all messy. So, um, I lay in this trailer that we had been in for, um, we stayed in there for a couple months and um, just laid there and waited to hear the commotion slow down and heard him leave and booked out of there to go get my cat. So I'm in this trailer. I'm not supposed to be in though. I paid the rent and everything. And um, I'm getting my cat in the backpack and I'm hearing Shane pulling up and I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst time possible. Now what? So I book out and kind of act like I had been waiting for him. Like I needed to get some stuff. I'm totally not going for it on the phone again with the sheriffs. I'm hauling again um, out of the park. He's chasing me in his truck. Um, he wanted me gone and I'm like, I'm leaving. Um, but nonetheless, he's still chasing me in his truck. And um, so I'm running through the shadows. It's like, I don't know, six -ish at night now. Um, and I'm running through the shadows and hiding from him. And his truck is super loud. So at least I have that much of a vantage point. He goes one way and I go another way across the street into an empty shed where um, I hang out with the dog and the cat in the backpack now, mind you, for a while more. Now, granted, um, I've been doing a lot of methamphetamine and I am um, not being compliant with my bipolar. So the delusion and what is and what isn't real is very twisted at this point in time in my head. But I do know I am in danger. So I feel as if he's starting to triangulate me and I um, 
So we're in the shed for a while and kind of catch our breath and like, like kind of like focus as much as I possibly can at that point being like, what is actually going on here? Like, what am I doing? I'm running for my life is basically what I'm doing from this crazy man who said he loved me yesterday, but now today wants me dead. And he just called the cops to a trailer park where there's no cops called. So he's as good as dead. But right now my focus is what? Survival. So... Uh, I've, I, I'm seeing the headlights and I'm hearing the truck and I know he's like starting to figure this out and I'm like, we got to move. So I lock the front door to the shed we're in and I'll move out through the back door with the dog, cat in the backpack. Okay. And we start hustling down this dirt road, um, shadows and, um, he's hunting me. I'm prey. So he, I hear his truck and he is actually like, he is going up and down the road. And, um, so I can see his headlights coming in front of me and we dive in the ditch, lay in the dirt, right? crawl it's kind of like i've felt very much like basic training crawl you know kind of lurk up and then again like again remember i'm on meth and i'm untreated bipolar so some of it's real some of it's not real what's real what isn't real what is really happening it's all kind of a mismatch but i just know that i need to get to this one particular place so we are slowly moving down the road i mean it's like hours go by he's hunting me um, I'm doing this shitter, sh you know, this shutter shag thing with the dog and the cat in the backpack, and we make it to the end of the road. I'm trying to get to an abandoned campground that I had already scouted out that I knew was a safe place for him that he would probably not be able to find me and I could get some keys. So we make it to the end of the last dirt road, and we're tired and dirty. I mean, we've been doing this for hours now. This guy is not giving up. He is obviously on a uh, he's on a rage and looking for me, and um. I look at the dog and, uh, you know, just readjust the backpack and make sure the cat's still breathing and that I haven't like rolled on her during my like, you know, tunneling activities and <sighs> look at the dog. And I'm like, this is it, dude. This is it. And that was my dog doc at the time. And he was a warrior. So I look at him, I hike up my pants, tie my shoes. And I'm like, this is it, dude. This is, this is the run for our lives because where we are right now, the street is here. I am here. The entrance way to the, the campground is here. There's water and there's a wide open pedestrian walkway where I can be seen visibly from all directions. Although if Shane is on the road up here, he's going to have to circle back. So I'm like, I'm thinking this is it. This is our one chance. Look at the dog. Dog looks at me. We jump the barbed wire fence and we haul butt to the end of that road and we make it. We make it to the pedestrian crosswalk and I'm like, okay, guy, we got it. We got it. And we start hauling across the wide open space of water, the pedestrian crosswalk, and there's Shane there up on the main road. He's us in the broad moonlight, right? Because it's like, it's right at that point, like 4 35 o'clock in the morning. The stars are on the water and the moon. And I mean, it was actually beautiful if I wasn't like running for my life. I see Shane, and all of a sudden, like, dun, 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 dun comes running through my head. And I am like, this is it. This is the last shot we got. Take the dog, hike up the leash. He's there. He's crying. He's coming down the one-way road to come and get me, but I'm on a pedestrian crosswalk. He can't get there. And we run to the campground. 500 steps. 500 very long steps. We make it. It's tree-laden. Nobody can see us. I mean, and he's over there, and I'm like, oh, my God. I think we made it. I'm still like all in that like splinter cell crouch, you know, kind of like creeping through, but in a very quick way with the dog, trying not to jingle anything. And by this time, it's just kind of like, 
you know, I wasn't scared of any other homeless people. I'm just thinking like, man, I got to get away from this psychopath who's trying to kill me, make it to the place I was trying to get to. And um, I can still hear him. He is parked over on the side, desperately trying to figure out how to get to the other side of the campground, which is a one-way road. He doesn't know the area well. And I'm like, okay, we got this. So me, the dog, the cat in the backpack, right? Run in to the campground, make it to our triple deluxe suite, abandoned campground bathroom. I back up against the wall, slide my way down, open the door about that much, and we slide in, close the door, latch it, <sighs> breathe. Look at the dog and go, you know what, doc, doc. One of these days, this is going to be one of these stories I tell people about all the crazy shit that went down in my life and how I survived mental illness and addiction. But right now, I just backed up against that wall and just stood there and breathed for about, I don't even know how long. Time was so irrelevant. All the meanwhile, I'm here in Shane's truck, still triangulating around the campground, trying to figure out where I'm at. It's now like five o'clock in the morning. People are starting to go to work. I'm thinking, I made it. We made it. Sit down on the cold, cold floor. I had dog and cat food, feed them, pull up the mess. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm here for a couple of days. Might as well make it a party, right? Finish up the mess. And that was actually the last time I ever like smoked a quantity of methamphetamine like that in my life ever again. Um, hindsight, I actually returned back to the trailer park where I'm living now and bought a trailer after all that was said and done. Um, did the nightmares continue? They do, but never as much as that rock bottom in the bathroom in the abandoned campground. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. I always love hearing your, your stories. That was uh, incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, um, you know, all good things come to an end. Uh, and and I... I in planning this, in planning this night, I, I, I was very conscious of making sure that we finish with a bang. Uh, the last storyteller for tonight is someone that I met. I don't even remember how we met. I, that's like the fourth, third time I've said that this tonight. But we started chatting. She quickly uh, came on the show. My podcast uh, was incredible. One of this season's uh, fan favorites. And I... We both kind of had this like, all right, let's keep figuring out ways to work together. And I immediately put her back on the list for Rock Bottom for a Day in the Life, the other uh, virtual storytelling event that I do. And so when I started putting together the list for Rock Bottom 3, I reached out to her and I said, not only do I, I need you for this, but I need you to close the show. And she said, great, when is it? So without further ado, the one, the only, Amy Minhan Corey. Hello. Hi, you're so kind. I, <laughs> I'm so happy we um we got to come together and collaborate. And um, this is such an incredible platform. Everyone's told amazing um, stories of, you know, just survival and life and that, you know, everyone goes through rock bottoms and you will continuously go through rock bottom through your entire life. But there is that one rock bottom that kind of is the origin of your new self, of that new beginning. 
And so mine tonight um, is, is very special and it was very much that as well. Uh, my name is Amy Minhan Kori. Um, today, I am a TED Talker, which is coming out soon. I'm a mental health advocate and public speaker. I'm an ambassador to some organizations and also I was a singer and songwriter. And, you know, I could tell so many stories of rock bottom. I survived and overcame um, seven plus years of self-harm and eating disorders and depression, and anxiety and PTSD and pretty much everything you name is something that I've also been through. And I can tell you the numerous times that I felt that rock bottom, when I felt paused, when I felt like I was gonna settle with what life was giving me and what my mind and my mental health was at that time. And so there have been numerous, numerous, numerous rock bottoms. I mean, even to this day, like I said, we continue it through our lives. Um, I think one of the most significant rock bottoms and probably was that deep hole in a sense to where I had to really completely change my entire life, completely change who I was, wasn't actually during the time of going through self-harm, going through eating disorders, going through the depression and anxiety and PTSD um, from when I was younger. So that all was happening um, from when I was nine to about um, 14, 15. Um, and so it was a very long time of that. I have, you know, the scars and the physical scars, the mental scars, the emotional scars that kind of carried um, throughout that time. And during that time of war within myself, within that battle, um, my family was also struggling with um, our own battle and our own war. My mom, who is my adoptive mom, because I was born in Vietnam and I was adopted to the United States, which is why um, Minh Han has become a significant uh, middle name in my life because it actually is my birth name. So I lost, not lost, but I was adopted because I my, my birth mom could not take care of me and I found love for my adoptive mom. We actually have the same birthday, um, May 28th, which was always what she told me when um, I was growing up. That's why she chose me. And she and I were very, very close. And she was that one who believed in light and in love and in dreams and in um, life. And she lived her life. And so when I started developing my self-harm problems, my depression um, problems, and kind of going through that war within myself, my mom was actually battling ovarian cancer at the same time. And so we kind of separated um, through those years. She was dealing with her stuff. I was dealing with my stuff. We you know, were going through those mother-daughter incidents of fighting, disagreeing, and this and that. And so that wasn't the rock bottom of this all. Um, what the rock bottom part was it was when I actually decided to, you know, fully overcome everything to make that decision for myself and for my life that, you know, 
I was ready for a new life. I was ready to see the light from this dark times. I was ready to become exactly who I am today in music and mental health in influence in trying to make a difference, trying to bring light into other people's darkness and show that you can not only go into that light, but you can create it, you can maintain it and you are worth and deserve that happiness. And so when I realized that I was, um, I was 14, I was in my junior year of high school. And it's when my mom announced to us that she, after five years by then, has decided to stop treatment, have decided to, you know, just be at peace with life and to accept what was going to happen next. And so I chose at that time as well that, you know, I wanted to get better on my own. I was already trying. I was going through therapy. And this was that final push to be like, okay, I want what's best for my life. I also want what's best for her life. I want her and I to live that life that we always dreamt of, that we always wanted for both of us to be happy, to live every day as, you know, it was our last. And I was so proud of how fast everything turned around. I was um, just so excited. We went to Nashville, where I live now, where everything was created. And then, you know, a couple months later, about six months later, our birthday happened. And I was turning 17. Um, don't remember what age she was turning, but we threw a party together. And I, you know, gave her a tiara, I gave her this and that. And then, you know, you felt, you feel like you're at the top of your game. You feel like, okay, we're, we're recovered. We're doing well. We're doing fantastic. And you're at the top of that mountain, just overlooking everything you've overcome, all the obstacles so far. And in a sense, you feel invincible. In a sense, you feel like, okay, you know, we've done it. This is it. It's time to move forward, this and that. And then two weeks after our birthday, um, she passed away. And that was the origin of who I had to become. But I spent time, lots of time on that rock bottom. I knew and my family knew when she was going to pass away. It was very quick. We witnessed everything. And I was very young. And I saw how fast death could come from life and the opposite how much life was brought because of death and i saw her go weaker and weaker and weaker and finally she on her last day she you know made peace and understood that it was her last day and we got to go in we got to say our goodbyes and then that night she passed away and we were woken up um, from bed, it was around 1 or 2 a.m. And all I remember is I was asked by my dad if I wanted to say goodbye. And I thought that she was, um, you know, about to pass. And I remember going into her room and she was already, she already had, had, had died. And um, that was a big awakening to see someone who has passed who wasn't with us anymore and i 
instantly went back to bed. I wasn't going to wait for hospice or anything. And the next day I remember waking up and I was surrounded by family members. I was surrounded by every single person who felt that same grief as I did, who felt the same sadness and emotion I did, but also had a worry about me and myself because of everything I went through. So all eyes turned from my mom into me. And I had to not only be strong for my mom, for my family, but for myself. And I had to walk around that rock bottom. I would cry. I would be anxious. I would feel that sensation six months into recovery, what I was going to do, how I was going to cope with such a horrific trauma. And the only thing by that time I was really used to was self-harm, was that eating disorder, was throwing up, was cutting myself. I knew that was my coping mechanism for, you know, seven years. And I remember being in that rock bottom moment and just thinking, okay, like, if there's any excuse to go back to those toxic habits, to those toxic cycles, this was it. And I remember I was sitting in my room, I was in the dark, I had nothing with me. And I was just sitting there and I was thinking about everything that happened. I was thinking about what I just lost, what I lost in her, what I lost in my family and what I lost in me. And I had to accept that this is my reality now, that the past is over and that this was my present moment. And obviously it's not a good present moment. And I was afraid to cry. I was afraid to show my emotion. I was afraid that anything I did, people would think that I self-harmed, that I did this. And that mindset of being forced to be okay, to being forced as you know a child to accept what happened and I had to deal with it and find a new way to cope. And that was probably one of the biggest rock bottom moments because you have to think what you're used to, which was, in my understanding, very toxic at the time. I still knew that that was very bad. But what other choice did I have? What was my way of, you know, coping with such a traumatic thing? And I just sat there and I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to accept, how to act, how to be. And it put me in a very, very dark place for a very, very long time that continuously I buried and I buried and I buried and years and years and years and years and years. I just worked, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. I um, started my career and I hid everything in me. And I thought that was the best way to cope. And eventually, like anyone who holds something in for so long, you break and you just go into that sense of what do I do? What do I feel and what is acceptable to feel now that I am, you know, having to move forward? And so that was probably my biggest rock bottom moment was to understand and find the root of a suffering and to find a new coping mechanism that was healthier, but was what I needed to figure out the balance between the two. And I'm very, very happy to say that, you know, 
I am now over eight years sober from self-harm, from eating disorders, from the depression, from everything that I've been through. And that now was that final test that I'm very, very proud and happy to say that I overcame in the best way I could, which was not with those toxic ways, but to understand and to feel and to continue living because the thing that death can do for you is you can see life from it and you can live on from that death and learn what life truly is and appreciate and love yourself, your family, your friends and the world from it. And so it was the rock bottom moment, but it was the origin of this new and better self and life that, you know, she created through her death. And I can give thanks to that and um, thank you. I mean, amazing. Thank you, Amy. That was fantastic. I, I, I'll be honest, the stakes, I was, I was assuming the bar was high. I mean, the bar for you was high because I've seen you speak before. You're incredible. And you let frog over this thing. You were frogger. You were, you were up here. You can't, I can't even show it on camera. You were up here. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for for this platform. And thank you to all the other speakers who shared their stories as well. So, unfortunately, we have come to the end. Uh, Amy closed the show. So I'm going to go ahead. I'll be honest. I've been sipping on my favorite whiskey for the last, uh, during Amy's, during Amy's uh, story, Blanton's my favorite. Uh, I suggest everybody take a moment, digest what you heard tonight. Uh, you know, if you're going straight to sleep, you're going to have some fucked up dreams. So take a moment and take a deep breath and think about the things you learned, the things you hear tonight. And like I said before, subscribe, like, or follow everywhere that you are currently watching this. Uh, check out my website, jshiftman.com, my podcast, Choose Your Struggle. Uh, huge, huge thank you to our partners for tonight. Number one, Roadrunner CBD. Uh, go to roadrunnercbd.com slash ref slash two CYS and use the code CYS to check out to get 10% off. And finally, my new merch store, uh, tpublic.com slash store slash choose your struggle. Big thank you to my strategist, Ryan, who knocked it out the park and is uh, working with me on his first Rock Bottom Storytellers. Big up for Ryan. And thank you to all the storytellers tonight who were incredible. And Rio Lanza. How can we ever forget the private show we got for Rio Lanza? All right, everybody. I'm Jay Schiffman. I've been your host. These storytellers were amazing. Make sure you follow us and stay tuned for Rock Bottom Storytellers 4. Good night, everybody.